Our scripture reading this morning will be from Psalm number 24. Uh, This is uh, the end of our study on the book of Psalms. Um, Next week we will begin a uh, study on the biblical kings, Saul and David and Solomon. Um, But as uh, as our study on the book of Psalms comes to an end, we've been looking at different types of Psalms. And uh, this morning, we're looking at a temple psalm. And this is a psalm um, that uh, would have been sung um, as, the, uh, as, the, uh, as pilgrims who came to Jerusalem were uh, ascending the hill up to the temple. And imagine they've been traveling all of this way, and now they're finally, um, finally uh, uh, ascending the steps up to the temple. And they hear singing, and this is a, this is one of the psalms that might have been sung as they ascended the steps to the temple. Psalm twenty four. Hear now the word of our Lord. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God. Of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. I like being down here, but I've just kind of decided the word of the Lord should be read from up there, and so I'm trying a new thing. What do you think about when you think about an idol? What word, uh, what uh, picture comes to your mind when you picture an idol? I think uh, for a a certain younger generation, maybe, they think of American idol, right? When they think of the word idol. Um, Maybe uh, Nagi's young generation, um, Billy Idol. Um, uh, but we all picture different things. I'll tell you exactly what I think of when I think of an idol. Um, it's this movie, uh, don't know if y'all have seen it, it's called Ragers of the Lost Ark. Anyone seen Ragers of the Lost Ark? 
Well, if you have not seen it, go to your local Blockbuster, um, rent that VHS tape because it is a banger. You need to see it. Um, but, uh, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is about Indiana Jones, this famous adventurer, archaeologist. And um, at, at the very beginning of the movie, he's in this uh, temple in South America. And he's got his map and his trusty bullwhip and his hat and his little satchel. And he's, uh, he's dodging all of these, uh, these booby traps. And, um, and then he, uh, he finally gets to the, uh, the sanctuary of this temple. And it's a big room. And then there's this stone pillar in the middle of the room. And on that stone pillar is a little golden statue. And that little golden statue is exactly the image that comes to my mind when I think of an idol. Anyone else? Like that come to your mind, that little golden statue from Regards of the Lost Ark? Just me. That's fine. Um, well, that little golden statue actually isn't too far off from what idols looked like in the ancient Near East. Um, and, the, and the places surrounding ancient Israel. They looked like little stone. Some of them may be plagued with gold, but little stone or wooden statues. Uh, some of them were painted. And these, uh, these, uh, these statues would be, um, they would be uh, atop uh, sometimes these big, huge uh, ziggurats. Right, these ancient pyramids, and you would go up the steps, and up on top of the ziggurat, there'd be a little house. And in the little house, there would be a little bed, and a little table next to the bed, uh, where people might have left uh, little offerings on them. And in the bed would be the wooden statue, the idol. And, uh, and, and then in some cultures, they, they would have a temple, and back behind the curtain of the temple uh, would be the idol, and that's where, where the god lived. And people would take these uh, little stone statues, and, and they would leave meals for them uh, and, and expect that these meals were eaten. And they would, they would parade them uh, around town before, uh, before they went into battle and, and, and expect... Uh, that this act uh, would, would help them win in battle. Um, they, would, uh, they would dance before them uh, when they needed the sky to open up and rain, right? These little wooden statues were treated as if they were God or, or as if they were the God of that culture, these little wooden stone statues, which raises the question, were these people stupid, right? It comes to mind, doesn't it? Where do you, like, do you ever think back about it and say, who was taken in by this, right? What kind of person actually thought that, that, that this, little, this little stone statue that, that Joe Bob down the street chiseled, right, that this was the God, that, that if we left an offering to this thing, it would eat it, right? Who believed that? Well, the answer may surprise you. Not that many people, actually. 
right? That's, that's kind of the misunderstanding about, about uh, uh, idolatry in the ancient world is that the statue was not, um, was not believed to actually be the god, but that the statue was supposed to be a stand-in for the god, it was supposed to represent the God. See, it was supposed to give us a focal point, right? To, to direct um, our adoration to the God, right? As, as a helper. We don't have the God to look at, but if we look at this statue and we treat this statue like it's the, the God, then, then, then that focuses our worship and it goes up there, right? It becomes the focal point of the worship. It was meant to be a help, these idols. But what happens is the line gets blurred, right? And you start treating this object that's supposed to be a help, that's supposed to be a focal point, and it starts getting treated like the actual God. And the best way to think of it is you think about like, um, like, like a, a toddler with a stuffed animal, Right? The one that they're really attached to, that, that Elmo that they won't let you put in the washer, even though, it, you know, it's all, you know, yucky and, and, and mangy and, and it needs to go in um, the laundry. Now, on a conceptual level, right, on a rational level, the child understands that this Elmo is not the Elmo, Right? the uh, Muppet that lives on Sesame Street and sings annoying songs to his goldfish, right? It's not the Elmo. This, 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 this is just a representation, right? But we sure do treat that representation like it's Elmo, don't we? Right? We talk to it. It goes to bed with us. Um, it, it, it sometimes, uh, if you have an extra seat, you actually put a seatbelt on it, you know, uh, on the, on the car trip so it doesn't get hurt, right? And if you, and I'm not advocating this, right? But if you were to take that Elmo in front of the child and just like rip its head off, right? That child wouldn't go, oh no, Right? The focal point of my adoration for the true Elmo that is just a facsimile has, has been disfigured before me, right? If it does say that, start saving for the expensive college. But um, what it will probably say is, oh no, Elmo, right? The child understands that this statue isn't Elmo, but, but it also kind of is, right? And the line gets blurred. And this is the way to think of, of idolatry, Right? This thing that's, that starts out as a help, as a focal point to our efforts, wind up becoming the main thing. And I bring this up because we can fool ourselves because we don't have little wooden statues. Right? We can fool ourselves into thinking we're not idolaters. Right? But the idolatry has nothing to do with the statue. Right? It's about we took this thing that was supposed to be a means to the end, right? There was supposed to be a halfway house between us and God, and we took this thing and we made it the main thing. We made it God. People do this with their jobs sometimes, don't they? 
Maybe you went into a profession um, that that you uh, that you thought was noble and and, and, and that you're going to use to help people. Maybe you went into a profession that you knew would provide your family a good life, so they could have so they they could have the good things and you could could raise them in the right way, right? And, and that this was going to be an instrument God was going to use to bless your life. But somewhere along the way, the job becomes the point, right? And you're working, uh, you're living for work instead of working to live, right? Some way that thing that was supposed to help, that was supposed to be an aid, that became the focal point. We do this with politics sometimes, right? Um, somewhere early on in life, we decide which party is ours and it's based on our, our values, right? Based on who we are as Christians and how we see God working in the world and, 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 and our values. And we choose the party that best aligns that. And that if we support this party, it's, it's going to help us best do God's work in a fallen and broken world. But if we're not careful, somewhere along the line, that same thing, that party that's supposed to be a means to an end, sometimes it becomes the main thing, right? And we start taking orders from the party, right? Instead of, instead of taking orders from God. And, and we, start, we start excusing all kinds of uh, evil behavior because someone from our party or our tribe did it. And we lose sight of God and his values and his vision for the world. We can do this with church, right? Church is supposed to be a place where people come to encounter God, right? But the church is not God. And when we make our, when we make our focus this building, and when we make our focus, um, you know, uh, what we want for this institution, look at what the Catholic Church is going through right now, this reckoning, because somewhere along the line, they, they lost sight of, of what was truly important and who they were truly supposed to be serving, and they started worrying about protecting the institution, right? We, they started worrying about how this is going to look on us, Right? And we can be all high and mighty about it. At least we're not like them. Right? But we're, we're one or two mistakes away from the same thing. Right? When we let, when we let the institution or the building or uh, the, the, the United Methodist Church uh, that's supposed to be a stand-in, supposed to, to help us meet the goal of building God's kingdom in the world, Right? If we let that take the place of God in our lives, if we let a preacher take the place of God in our lives, then we miss the point and we're idolaters. We're idolaters. Right? You don't need a little golden statue to be an idolater. There's something in us that misses the point. It's human nature. So our psalm says this morning, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? 
He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. I learned this this week. There's like um, eight different words. Um, I know I'm a Bible geek. I can't help it. All right, this is interesting to me, and so I'm just hoping for the next minute it'll be interesting to you. All right, there are like eight different words um, that that uh, that are Hebrew words that are translated into idol, and and I read a whole list of them, and they're all fascinating, and, and they give you different takes on what an idol is. But the point is, in this psalm, this psalm uses none of them. Right, the word translated as idol in this psalm. There's a word called saw, and, and it's like it sounds, S-A-W, saw. And what, what saw means is nothing. Saw means an emptiness, a nothingness, is meaningless, right? The one who does not lift up his soul to a, right, to a nothing, to a vapor, right? That's this word. The one who can ascend the hill of the Lord is the one who does not lift up his soul to nothing, to that which is meaningless, to that which is ultimately empty, right? I say that because that's exactly what we do sometimes, isn't it? We chase after this thing that is so important to us. It's the focus of all our energy. And when we get up to it, we discover it's nothing. It's empty. It's meaningless. And all that time and energy we spent was time and energy wasted. I like that word saw because it makes me think of sawdust. Right? It's a counterfeit. Right? It may make your engine go for just a little bit. Get out of the parking lot, right? But then you're going to break down, right? Sawdust. You think this is the real deal. You think this is the meal. You think this is the thing that's going to make your life what it needs to be. And you, you train all your time and energy on it, and then you get right up to it, and it's sawdust, right? It's nothing. It's, a, it's meaningless, Then the psalm continues. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. Right? Um, the word uh, translated here, this glory, anytime you see glory in the Old Testament, is this Hebrew word, kavod. And what kavod means is weight. Weight. We have to put on our, our ancient world heads for just a second. Why would weight mean glory? Well, um, anytime in the ancient world you had to determine something's value, what did you do with it? You weighed it. Right? You're putting on the scales. Right? That's how I figure out um, how much gold this really is. Right? Um, uh, how much uh, grain you're actually giving me. Right? I put it on the scale. I weigh it. Right? 
And, and that's why weight means value, meaning, substance, right? This king of weight, right? Because it's this king, this king outweighs everything else in your life. Whatever else you put on that scale, the king of glory is going to outweigh it, right? If you put your job on the scale, the king of glory is going to outweigh it. If you put, if, if, if you put your, your, your family on the scale, I'm sorry, the king of glory is going to outweigh it. If, if you put your hopes and dreams on the scale, the king of glory is going to outweigh it, Right? That's what we're talking about when we talk about the king of glory, this immeasurable wealth, immeasurable worth. Ever seen those pictures of uh, like King Henry VIII, right? That, that old portrait of King Henry VIII. He's like wearing, looks like five coats, right? He's like out to here. He's got uh, this big chubby face and this big beard, right? And um, in you know, first you look at it and think, didn't he know about vertical stripes, right? <laughs> Wouldn't he wear something that would slim him down a little bit, right? Or better yet, why didn't he uh, throw the guy that did that portrait in the dungeon, right? And get another portrait guy that's going to give him like a chiseled jawline and, you know, um, bulk him up a little bit, right? Slim him down. Well, there's a good reason. Up until very recently, weight was equated with stature, with importance. It goes back to the old days when, you know, the king was the guy on top of the pyramid and he got to eat mutton, right? While, uh, while the people at the bottom of the period were slaving away. The big guy in town, you know, that's, uh, that's the guy everyone looks up to. That's the guy that's in charge. So if you're having your portrait taken and you want to show everyone that you're in charge, you're the greatest guy around, then you put on five coats and a fur coat and a sash thing and you have your beard puffed out to here, right? To show, to show how big and large and in charge you are, right? But God doesn't have to put on any airs. He is the king of glory. He outweighs anything else in your life. And all that other stuff, that's just sawdust. It's just a nothing. It's just meaningless. It's just a vapor. Jesus Christ has the weight and the meaning and the glory in your life. The story about a king. He lives up on a hill and this hill is so tall that... uh, that the, the, the castle looks like it's sitting in the clouds, right? That's how tall the hill is. And down in the valley below, people are struggling. They, they work hard. They, uh, they, they, they don't get hardly compensated for, for their work. There's all kinds of crime. Um, people are begging. There's all kinds of uh, violence and oppression down there. But up, up on the top of the hill in that castle, the king's got it made in the shade. And so he never goes down into the valley. Well, there's a story about this king who lives up in a castle above the clouds. And, uh, and he decides he wants a new cloak. 
and so he uh, calls the best tailor in all the land to make a new cloak for him. And, and the best tailor in all the land gets all of these expensive, uh, expensive cloths, like, like silk from the Orient, um, uh, uh, purple, purple cloth, um, ivory, ivory buttons, gold, gold lace, right? And begins uh, to make this beautiful, beautiful cloak. Well, the king puts on this cloak. And he looks at himself in the mirror and he says, not good enough, right? And he fires the tailor and he throws the cloak into the fire. And he says, I'll make the cloak myself. And uh, you should see him, the king, right? And his castle in the clouds and he's hunched over a sewing machine. And he's working on this cloak. And then he finally comes out and he's wearing this raggedy, tattered, dirty beggar's cloak he puts this thing on and he looks like an old beggar so he comes out into the great hall and he looks at all of his attendants and he says to them i'm going down into the valley right that's what jesus did for us He was up there in all of his splendor and all of his glory and he took it all off. And he put on that human cloak and he said, he said to the father, I'm going down into the valley. Right? When you get up close to glory, to true glory, that's what it looks like. It doesn't look like like the big royal cloak. It looks like the cross. It looks like a king who is willing to give up everything, even his own life for his people. That is what true glory looks like. That's real kavod. That's real weight. Everything else is just sawdust. Everything else is just meaningless. I consider it all rubbish, the Apostle Paul said, compared to the honor of knowing Jesus, my Lord. It's all just sawdust. Anything else you could put on the scale wouldn't compare to what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's true weight. That is true glory. So the question before us so are we going to continue to chase after sawdust? Are we going to continue to miss the point? Or are we going to cast our lot with the king of glory? With the one who casted his lot with us? I want to close with this thought. There's this little boy playing hide and seek with his friends. And he finds the perfect hiding spot, the one they're never going to guess, right? And he hides in that hiding spot. And the friends, you know, for about five or six minutes, they're looking after him hard, right? And then they can't find him, and they start to get bored, and they wander off. And they go play other games and do other things. Well, after some time... Uh, the boy realizes no one's out there looking for him. No one's going to find him. And so he leaves his hiding spot and he's crying. 
and um, his grandpa sitting on the porch and he notices this little boy out in the yard crying, right? And so he goes up to him and he says, his, his son, what's the matter, right? And the little boy begins to tell him, you know, I, I, I found this perfect spot. I hid in it and I wanted everyone to find me. And they got bored and they went and did other things. They didn't care about me. The kid's crying. And the grandpa, he, uh, he puts the little boy on his knee and he says, Son, now you know exactly how God feels. Now you know exactly how God feels. See, God is waiting for us to find him. God is waiting for us to search after him. And don't we? We spend a little time doing that. And then we get bored. We get distracted. And we start chasing off after other things. But all that stuff, all that stuff is sawdust. It's wooden statues. It's gods of stone. When you compare it to the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to sing a song together. I surrender all. And I just want to give you, a, I just want to give you this invitation. Um, Forrest Gump's <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Dan says to Forrest Gump, have you found Jesus? And he's like, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, right? Um, if, uh, if you know you're supposed to be chasing after Jesus in your life and somehow you've gotten distracted and you're, you're chasing other things and, and you're going after that sawdust and you want to sp- spend a little time at the altar and, 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 and surrender all that stuff, all that sawdust, and, uh, and recommit your life to chasing after Jesus, you have that invitation this morning. Um, this doesn't mean you were never saved or nothing. It just means you just, you're, you're, you're taking that extra step that says, I'm going to rededicate myself uh, to chasing after you. And um, if you want me to pray with you, just kind of, I'll come pray with you. Um, if not, I'll, I'll just leave you alone and let it be between you and God. Don't have to come to the altar and do this. The altar is a special place. And also do it in your seat. But uh, this is your time. So I surrender all. Number 354.